Uh, well, again, I, I'm so grateful to be here. It's always fun to start a new series because it's sort of exploring this new land or maybe going deeper in some things that it seems like God's put on our heart. And as this series unfolds, uh, we're going to be able to see some of the things that we believe that God has put on us, our heart as a people here at Hope Covenant Church. And both Pastor Jim and myself will be teaching through this next series. And this week is sort of the intro week. So the real number one, the B for bless, uh, that starts next week, and that's why the groups will start tracking in a week. But I wanted to set this whole thing up by, by asking a question, what is the church? What is the church? Now, if you've been with us since even Easter, we have looked at lots of different stuff from the New Testament. Uh, we started with the resurrection of Jesus, and then we looked at stories following his resurrection. We looked at the birth of the early church. We looked at people that, that followed Jesus. We spent the last five weeks talking about how the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us. Um, it's been really fun. And I think it kind of leads us into this simple question, which is going to get us back into the series by the end uh, of the talk. But, but it's impossible to read all these stories in the New Testament and not get a sense of how much Jesus longed for the world. He longed for the whole world to be invited to follow him. Right? Uh, we've read this verse several times in Acts chapter 1 during this last few months. We read where Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, so which their hometown, in Judea, which is the region around them, Samaria, which now we're getting a little sketchy. We don't like those Samarians, but it's a little farther in the circle. And then to the ends of the earth. Like Jesus wanted the whole world, not just the insiders. He wanted the whole world to know him. And his disciples were to be the ones to tell the world. And they did. They did. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them. We've been looking at that for the past month. And then next, after the Holy Spirit came on them and empowered them, uh, here's a trick question, okay? I'll just warn you. Trick question here. After that happened, as soon as that power came on them, they rushed right out to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth, right? No. No, no. You would think so. Uh, anybody know how many years it took them to do that first circle out there to Samaria? Anybody guess how many years it was? Four. Yeah. Man, you guys are good. You're good. So good. Four years, right? Just for them to get outside of their own circle in Judea and Jerusalem where they were at, right? For them to get outside their comfort zone. For them to get outside their own people group. It took four years before they finally went to Samaria. It took even longer to go to the utter, uttermost ends of the earth, but four years. And, and I was talking with um, Dave Johnson, my mentor and, and pastor this week. And, and Dave says this, he said, you know... They didn't go to Samaria when they finally did it. They didn't go to Samaria because they were now obeying Jesus' command. They went because they were being persecuted. <laughs> that's why they left Jerusalem. So it's not like, oh, we're going to obey Jesus and go do this thing that's on his heart and care for lost people. No, they had to flee because of persecution, which is great that God uses things. I don't think he causes it, but he uses it. But even thinking that it took him four years to go to Samaria, uh, it tells me this. It tells me that it's really easy for, you know, good Christians, serious Christians, well-meaning Christians, even spirit-filled, spirit-empowered Christians, it's real easy for us to lose track of God's heart for the lost. 
really easy. Really easy. In fact, if we are honest, I think we can look through the history of the church and see how this tends to happen over and over. All the time, good and kind, loving Christians struggle with what it means to invite people that don't know Jesus to begin to follow him. We use the word oftentimes evangelism, right? Evangelism, we're going to evangelize the world. But it doesn't always seem that natural for most of us. But just think about this. Whatever you think of evangelism, whatever comes to mind, we'll look more at that next week when you think of the word evangelism. What, what if you could just simply be a part of introducing someone else to the life that Jesus offers? Right? Take away all the baggage, all the fears of what would I say? Just, just imagine what, what if you could be involved in introducing someone else to this life that Jesus offers? And to do it in a way that was not weird or unnatural, right? You don't, you don't have to memorize some sort of forced, memorized uh, sales pitch that you kind of force into a conversation. And then, and then people go, what are you talking about? How did we just get there, right? But what if, instead of doing it that way, what if you could just simply be a blessing to the person that you were introducing to Jesus? I mean... Seriously, let's get real practical in your own lives. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud here, but just imagine for a moment. Just imagine, just think of someone in your life that really needs to come to Christ. Somebody that really, their life could use some change, some hope. Think of a friend or a neighbor. Or maybe for you, you're thinking of a relative, right? Maybe one of your parents that doesn't know Jesus, maybe one of your, your kids, or, or maybe your parents, your mom or dad, or, or that crazy uncle. Wow, he needs Jesus, right? <laughs> um, or somebody that you work with. Like, just for a moment, just imagine, do you have a name or a face? Somebody in your life, in your circle, maybe somebody you see at the grocery store, maybe the person at the coffee shop. Now, you know they could really benefit from a relationship with Jesus, and then, can you imagine how Jesus might change their life? Like, what would that look like? That person, just picture it. Now, I have some good news. <laughs> what you might have just pictured there with that person, it can happen. Like, it can happen. In fact, God still wants to work through you and I, just like he did the disciples, to invite people into a relationship with him. Jesus didn't just say to his disciples back there before he ascended to heaven, you will be my witnesses. He meant that not just for them, but for all of us, you and me. We get to be witnesses of Jesus. We get to tell others the story of what Jesus has done in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Now, that word witnesses used to make me flinch a little bit, um, probably because there's a cult that goes door to door and knocks on the doors and their name is something witnesses, right? Um, right? So we get a little, uh, we get a little sketchy, right? Um, but I had to stop and go, you know, okay, it's not, witnesses is not a bad word. Somebody else has maybe co-opted it. Let's take that word back. In fact, thinking of it this way actually takes the pressure off, I think. Being witness, being a witness of good news of Jesus can take the pressure off of us. Because it's like Jesus is saying here when he says, be my witnesses. Um, here's the Doug Glenn uh, translation here, the expounded version. He's saying, I want you to be my witnesses. You don't have to be my salesman, right? You don't have to put a lot of pressure on people. 
Witnesses, they just tell what they've seen. And so I want you to tell people what you've seen from me and seen what I've done in your life. That's it, right? That's what we get to do. We don't need to be salesmen. We're not supposed to pressure people or, for God's sake, please don't scare people, literally, for God's sake. Don't do it. Um, See, as witnesses, we just get to tell people what we've seen. And that's what this series is going to be about for the next six weeks, just simple, effective ways to share our faith with the people around us. And so to back off of that a little bit, what I want to start with to introduce this whole series, I want to start by answering a very basic question. And the question is, what exactly is the church? What is the church. Now, if you and I were to kind of do like a man on the street interview where we'd go downtown Chandler or downtown Tempe and maybe have a you know, video camera and a microphone, we go around and ask them, hey, uh, tell us what you think of when we say, what is the church? My guess is we get a lot of answers, probably some of them pretty hostile, um, but most people, if they're just kind of off the top of their head, would say, well, the church is a building, right? Church is a building. And honestly, I admit that my kind of reflex to that, because it's sort of what our culture believes, and we talk about church, we think of a building. And so many of us think that as well. When we hear the word church, we reflexively think, oh, the building. And maybe we think of the particular church, like this church here, maybe the church that we belong to. Um, We hear about church, we might think about, you know, the pastors or the Sunday morning service, whatever, right? We're sort of conditioned in our culture to connect the word church to those things, the, the building, Uh, the service on Sunday morning. And and honestly, it's just easier to think of church that way. It's sort of shorthand because, you know, we're not going to go on our website and, like, write a definition for church service. When people want to know what time our church service is, they're going to look. We're going to call it a church service. We're not going to call it something they're like, is that the church service? What is that, right? So I'm not advocating that we have to, like, all change our language and and not use those words. Um, But I just am asking us this morning to shift our thinking Um, to identify, you know, yeah, I tend to think of the church and I think of a building or the service. Um, I want to shift it away from that for us, and I'll tell you what I'd like us to remember when we hear the word church in a moment. But, but, but But if we do just think of the church building, if we do just think of the Sunday morning service when we hear the word church, then we have missed out entirely on what the larger picture of church is. In fact, and I'll split hairs a little bit here, it's not really accurate to say that we, we go to church. It's not really accurate to say that because the church is not a building. It's not a place that you can really even go to, right? When the Bible uses the word church, it never speaks of a building, ever, ever. And again, most of us today, we hear the word church, we think of a building, the place that you go. And again, I'm not getting down on us for that terminology. I just want us to think about the word church more holistically. And so all throughout the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia is the word that we translate church. And what ekklesia means is the ones who are called out. Right? The ones who are called out. So when we back up and hear stories from the New Testament, we hear the word church used. It means the ones who are called out, and that's exactly what the church really is. It's a group of people who God has called to be his partners in blessing and reaching the world around us. See, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God, and so you are the church. 
Those of us who said yes to Jesus, we are the people of God. You and you and you and you and you and you, you are the church. Now, when we look at scripture for where this word comes from, uh, Jesus is the first one who uses the Greek word ekklesia to introduce the concept of his church. And we'll look first in a second here at the first time that we hear the word church used in the Bible. Um, what's happening is Jesus is speaking to one of his disciples, Peter, and Peter declares, hey, I believe that you really are God's son. And here's what Jesus says, and this is the first time he uses the word ecclesia. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, right there, Jesus is the one who establishes the church. See, some folks say, well, you know, the church is just some man-made religious institution that's created to keep people in line and, to, you know, I guess give them something to do on Sunday morning. No, 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 no. The church is Jesus' idea. And notice that he calls it my church. More on that another time. Just interesting to remember, right? Especially for us pastors. <laughs> Whose church? Not my church. Not Doug's church. <laughs> Jesus' church, right? Now, look what Jesus said there when he talked about the church in this verse here. In God's mission, God's mission to rescue humanity from evil, who will be his partner in that mission against the gates of hell? Who? The church, right? Who crashes up against the gates to break down hate with love? The church. And who does he give the authority to for stopping the forces of the enemy and setting people free? Yeah, it's the church. And so fast forward in Jesus' story, after this happens, um, he's crucified, he rises from the dead right before he ascends back into heaven. He gives his church marching orders. He tells us what he wants us, the people of God, the allies, the partners of God, the church to do. Verse 15 of Mark 16, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, all the world, and preach the good news to all creation. Jesus is saying right there, all right, church, here's your marching orders. I want you to go into all the earth and bring my invitation. Now, these are tall orders, right? Not a single one of us can even dream of accomplishing a task of that magnitude. All the world? I mean, imagine being Jesus' disciples here, and they hear this assignment from Jesus, and they're like, what, a dozen knuckleheads go into all the world? We haven't even left Israel yet, right? They've only been in Israel. I mean, just imagine if you've never traveled past the boundaries of, like, Maricopa County, which is about the size of Israel, right? Let's say you've never left the county. And then somebody says, hey, you, 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 and you, and you, and you. You guys have never, you country bumpkins that have never left Maricopa County. I'm going to send you into all the world. That's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big assignment. And they know that there's no way they can do what Jesus called them to do except for two things. Two things here. One, the Holy Spirit's going to empower them, which we've been looking at. And two, that they get to do it together. They're not on their own. They get to do it as the church, as the people of God, on a mission from God. Now, even with that, you're like, okay, well, that might help a little bit. It still sounds like a crazy idea, but as we know from 2,000 years later, 
While the mission that Jesus gave them and us is not yet complete, billions of people have heard God's invitation. They've heard the good news of the gospel. And the reason that they've heard is all because of the church, a group of people on a mission from God, loving God, loving each other, and loving the world around them. That's why billions of people have heard Now, this was not a new thing. When Jesus introduced this idea to his disciples and gave them that call, the idea of being the people of God, that was not a new thing. See, God has always, throughout history, been on a mission to partner with a group of people in order to reach the world around us. See, it's woven throughout the story of God. Just just think back to the stories in the Old Testament, in Genesis. First, in Noah, where God gives a giant do-over to humanity. He partners with Noah. Later in the book of Genesis, God uh, in Abraham calls a people to partner with him. Not just a person, but now a a whole people group uh, became the Jewish people. Now look at the words of God as he makes this covenant, this promise to partner with Abraham. Listen to and look at the promise here on the screen out of Genesis 12. Verse 2, God says to him, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Check this line out. And you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Then he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Next couple lines. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through you. Now, we look at this covenant he made with Abraham, and I think maybe a lot of the folks back in in the times of the Old Testament easily forgot that this was not just about being the exclusive people of God in a little bless me club. He was saying to him, you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God wanted to partner with a people, and so he chooses Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, to partner with him in loving and in blessing and reaching the whole world. He says, all peoples, the whole world, all peoples will be blessed through you. And the rest of the Old Testament is the story of the people of God, mostly the Jews, and this tension and the highs and lows, the relationship of this people who were set apart to be God's chosen people through whom God wanted to bless the whole world. And we get through what we call the Old Testament, and eventually, New Testament, Jesus is born into the line of Israel, and Jesus announces a new partnership, the new covenant. Jesus announces that God is still, despite this hasn't been going great, but God is still, by the time of Jesus, he is still seeking a people through whom he can love and bless the world around. But now, Jesus clarifies, hey, anyone can be my partner Jewish or not Jewish, you can if you want to. You can enter into a relationship with Jesus and his invitation to be one of the people of God. And so Jesus does what we've been looking at. He commissions his followers then, right? The church, go into all the world. And in the book of Acts, a lot of people accept this invitation to become one of the people of God. And they, we, are known as the ecclesia. The ones, the church, the ones who are called out, God's partners. The ecclesia. Now, all through the New Testament, if you read the stories, especially in Acts, ecclesia is used to talk about groups of believers in different places. So groups of believers, the church, um, they come together to worship. They come together to listen to teaching. 
They come together to baptize people and to observe the Lord's Supper or communion. They come together to serve one another, and they come together to bless the world around them and tell others about the gospel, about the love and sacrifice of Jesus. So that's what the church is, the ecclesia as far as scripture uh, is looking at. But back then, and today as well, um, the church, when you said the church back then, you didn't think of a building. You didn't think of a Sunday morning meeting. No, no, we knew that the church was and is the people of God. Same thing is true today. Now, let me do a little sidebar on this. Um, Because some people are like, well, yeah, the church isn't the building, and it doesn't matter, and the Sunday morning service thing, it doesn't matter, right? No, don't get me wrong. Um, This building here uh, is is important. It's a resource that, that we get to use and steward in order to do more effective Churching, right? Uh, ministry with and for people when we come together. So I'm not down on having facilities, not at all. Uh, I'm grateful. We don't have an extravagant facility, and we wouldn't want an extravagant facility. We want to steward this resource. We want to take care of it. We want to use it to bless people, and so we do. We treat this like, 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 a, like a house that our family gathers in and meets in, and we want to invite others into our house as well. So we do take care of our house. We don't let it slide. But again, even with that said, remember, this building is not the church. You and you and you and you and all of you, you are the church. You are the church. And as far as thinking of the church as the Sunday morning worship time, um, that too, again, remember, that's not the church. Um, But it's still an important time. Like scripture tells us to gather together for teaching. And so this is a time that we regularly gather to grow and serve and worship and connect with each other. There's a familiar passage for some of you out of Hebrews 10 that talks a little bit about about this. Uh, Verse 24, the author says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us, not, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day when Christ returns. And so it's, it's a great encouragement. It's a great reminder that, that we do. We want to come together, and we do this thing here once a week, right? Um, early church in Acts, they gathered just about daily, <laughs> for teaching and fellowship and breaking bread, right? Um, so once a week isn't actually, you know, all that often when we think about it. And for me, what, what I decided uh, years ago was to set aside Sunday morning or night, depending on where we were, um, to gather with the people of God, right, the church, together with us. Um, and setting that time aside, it wasn't some sort of legalistic obligation and I had to feel all terrible and shamed because if I missed it, God was mad at me. No, it's not that at all. It's not some sort of obligation to come to church. Um, I choose to do it, and many of you choose to do this, because we want to make it a priority for us to regularly gather with other believers. And so this is the case for many of us here at Hope and in lots of other churches as well. We make a decision that it's a priority to arrange our week around gathering on Sunday morning, because that's when we do it here, and at the very least on Sunday morning, because others of us are in classes or groups or small groups as well. And those of us that do that, um, I hope you don't do it out of guilt or manipulation or obligation. Um, I hope that you do it kind of why I do it. I I just know that I need it. I know it's important. I know that I need this time. 
And God created the church to be a place where we encourage each other, where we help each other, where we connect with each other and grow in community. And the truth is, and we've said this a number of times, but you, you can't grow in spiritual community by yourself. I love this statement. I've used it before, even recently, um, by Paul Turnier. He says, there are two things you cannot do alone. One is to be married. Yeah. Okay, just, just checking. Uh, and the other... And the other is to be a Christian. And again, this phrase here, what does it mean? Um, I think what he's getting at here is nowhere in Scripture do we see solo spirituality, just me by myself, lone ranger in it. We just don't see that anywhere in the Bible. See, God changes hearts. He transforms lives. He shapes us when we are in community with other believers, with his church, with the people of God, really. So here's the deal. I'm not against facilities. I'm not against buildings. I'm not against having worship services, but let's just remember that those things, buildings and services, they are not the church. And, and I guess kind of why I'm harping on this a little bit <laughs> is the problem when we think of the church as a building or we see the Sunday morning meeting, um, that's the church where the pastor speaks, the worship leader leads some songs, you know, the offering's taken. The problem with thinking of it that way is that after those things happen, the preaching, the singing, the prayer, all that, after those things happen, then church is over. And then we go home because we think church is this event right here. And I've worked at some pretty large churches where nearly all of our energy went into making that 90-minute church service into this fabulous, entertaining event that we called church. And I've had some adjustments in my thinking on that through the years, um, because all through scripture, the word church, again, was used to describe the followers of Jesus when they gathered together. The people of God gathered, that's what made it church, not because they went to a building called a church. Um, let me put it this way. When this room, this room that we're sitting in right now, when it's empty in a couple hours, is it the church, this room? No, no not at all. See, there is no church until we, the people of God, gather together. And even when we're gathered together like we are right now, this building isn't the church because we are the church. And part of why I think it's helpful for us to remember that the church isn't a building, that the church is the people of God, is because it's really easy, especially in the culture that we live in, it's really easy for us to lose track of why it is that we do gather together as a church to worship God. See, when we forget that we are the church and we get lost in this idea that we go to church uh, kind of like uh, the way we would go to you know a store when we think of it that way we're in danger of missing what Jesus said when he chose us as the ecclesia the called out ones see our, our vision of what church is gets tainted when we think of church as something that we go to much like we would, you know, attend a school or a theater. Or commonly, I think a lot of people think of, you know, belonging to a church in the way that we would belong to a club with its programs and activities and benefits. Um, a guy named Daryl Guter says this about that. He says, when we think of the church uh, with a club mentality, both members and those outside the church expect the church to be a vendor of religious services and goods. Kind of strong words. Uh, I might be one of those that have thought of church that way. Um, but I just even think about his quote for a little bit, and I ask the question, have we, 
over time, and maybe with really good intentions, turned our churches into vendors of religious services and goods. I wonder, have we westernized Christians lost our focus and our call as a body of people sent on a mission from God to bless and reach our world? We lose focus on that because we just think church is the service or the building. And again, we gather, right? We need to gather in community to worship, encourage, have teaching from the Bible. But we have to remember that we are the church all week long, not just on Sunday, not just Wednesday night, but 24-7 as we go about our regular lives, we are on a mission as God's partners to bless and reach the whole world around us. And I get nervous because I know that I have lost focus, and I think a lot of people in the West especially, we've lost focus on being the church, being a people who, who love and serve and bless the world around us. And instead, you know, we turn church into a religious dispenser of goods and services. Let me push that a little farther. Because um, OK says I like to, you know, walk the line. Thank you, elders. Um, the rest of you that are nervous, blame. Okay, yeah. Um, um, I sometimes wonder if, as, as churches, we aren't prone to, instead of making disciples, like Jesus said, go and make disciples, I kind of wonder when I look around sometimes at what the state of the church is, especially in America, instead of disciples, have we made consumers? Have we told people, you need to come here, come to church just to be fed and have, you know, have our needs met through quality programs and have the professionals teach our children about God? Um, and by the way, that's the difference between, you know, a consumer church, this idea that I go to church, um, and church as Jesus describes it, where we still gather together, right? We're commanded to gather together as the church. But when we think of it not as a consumer, when we think of it as disciples, then our worship, our teaching, our giving, our painting, our serving, all of it is a part of being on our mission as the followers of Jesus to love and serve. It's a different focus. And listen, <laughs> I'm a church lifer, okay? I have spent all of my life in lots of different kinds of churches. I've been to thousands of church services. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Um, I've gotten lost, easily get lost in what it means to be the church. Like, I fall into our cultural trap of consumerism when it comes to church. And ironically, by the way, discipleship, what Jesus calls us to, and consumerism are polar opposites. More on that some other time. Um, and, you know, so again, we, we usually call the weekend time when a church family gets together, we call this the worship service. And ironically, some of you probably know that the whole term worship service came about um, because it used to mean a time when the followers of Jesus would gather together to offer their service to God through worship and their service to others. That's what the worship service was. We came together, offered our worship in service to God and service to others. But over time, kind of that old-fashioned idea of service somehow got reversed and so the weekend worship service has now become the time of the week where we go to a church building, much like a car, you know, goes to an automobile service station. And uh, most people, 
view the weekend worship service. In fact, you'll hear pastors say this. Hey, this is the place where you go to get service done to you. We're going to get your tank filled up at the service station. It's a place where somebody's going to give you a sermon to serve us with our weekly nourishments. And in automobile terms, you could say, hey, this is my weekly fill-up, right? And so we go to our service station where there's, you know, a song leader serves us. We want that song leader to serve us by leading us in singing songs, preferably not too many and not too few, just enough fast ones and just enough slow ones. And if he or she does their job well enough, we get the feeling we were looking for and we say we had good worship today. Amen, Troy. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And we're especially glad especially in modern times here, that our weekend service station now serves coffee in the church lobby. I mean, it's as convenient as our automobile service station or nearby Circle K, and the slogan works here, what else do you need, right? Okay, now I probably stepped on all of our toes there, mine included, okay? So just breathe breathe deep, take it easy. This is me, I'm talking to me as well. Um, Is there anything wrong with being nourished by the teaching? No, of course not. We're supposed to teach. In fact, one of the words we got during our listening prayer night a couple of weeks ago was that we do. When we gather, God is nourishing us through the teaching and the time together. So we are supposed to teach. And since we're supposed to teach when we come together, let's do it well. Uh, Jim and I, we work very hard on our messages. And it's one of the reasons that the church is called to gather to be the church for teaching and instruction. It's in the scriptures. How about worshiping with music? Um, Okay, I have to admit, if I personally, this is where I'm still being sanctified, uh, if I personally can't stand the music style or the songs, or the worship leader is so bad that it's distracting and I can't stay focused on Jesus, that is my pet peeve. I used to tell everybody, I just tell myself, you know, shut up and worship, which, you know, works. If you don't like it, okay, this is not about you, Doug, shut up and worship. And then I went to a church not that long ago for a few months where it was so bad that my little mantra, shut up and worship, didn't work because it was that bad. Okay, so I'll admit, <laughs> uh, when the music's bad, right? Or, or, I know this is a problem for a lot of us here, if the volume is way too quiet, we can't stand it, right? Isn't that a thing? I'm treading, I'm treading. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there, right? Um, so there's... You know, we aim to teach well. We want to worship God with excellent music. We're working on stuff all the time, you know, to improve the sound, to to make this room uh, easier for us to be in and more inviting, okay? Um, Oh, and is there anything wrong with coffee in church? No. Yeah, just don't spill on the new carpet, okay? Yeah. No, there's nothing, there's nothing at all wrong with, with coffee here. But if we focus just on those things and we lose the point of why we gather to be strengthened as the people of God on a mission from God, then we waste our time. Worse than wasting our time, we actually miss out on the adventure that God has to offer us. Like he has this adventure he wants to offer us as his allies in this mission to bless and reach our world. So let me repeat it this way. When we fall into the trap of consumerism, where we think that church is just here to cater to my needs, we miss out on what God intended his church to be, his allies in reaching and blessing a lost and dying world. See, when church, and I am so guilty of this so many times in my life, when church was all about me, and when church might be all about you, and and we avoid commitment, or... 
We sit on the sidelines and we critique and we criticize and we complain about whatever, the music, the teaching, the volume, how the building's decorated. You know, when we do that, we are distracted and we miss the mark badly. Not that we just miss the mark, like we miss what God offers us, like the great stuff that can be when we enter in to what he offers us, the adventure that comes with being the church together. Now, kind of connected to this, we've talked about this before, but at the end of his time on earth, Jesus spelled out real clearly to his church why it is that he called us together as the church. He gathered his followers together, and he said this to them. It's up on the screen. Go into all the world and have really successful careers and drive nice cars and build up big houses and live safe, respectable lives. (laughs) It's a great verse, right? The book of hallucinations. I wonder what the first 11 chapters are. Um, No, no. That's not what Jesus said. Actually, Jesus said to his followers, us, the church, his church, he said this in John 20, as the Father sent me, Jesus, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I send you. I send you and you and you and you and you and you. I send you. And when Jesus prayed for his followers, that when he left, he prayed for his followers, and this is what he said to the Father as he was praying for us. He said, in the same way, God, that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in this world. And in his last words, before he left the earth, Jesus We already read this today, but he gathered his followers and said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, church, I want you to take my power, my love, my aliveness, the message of my grace, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to take the way of the cross and, and hope into the whole world to bless everyone and it will change the world. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. You don't, again, you don't have to be my salesman. (laughs) You don't put pressure on people. Witnesses, they just tell people what? What they've seen. Jesus is saying, I want you to tell people about me. Tell people about what I've done in your life, in your story. That's how you can be the church. You can be a blessing. (laughs) Friends, do that and we will change the world. Which again, it's a really big job. But it's also very practical. There's so many things that we can do, and we're going to talk about those in this series. Just simple things. Simple things like love and serve people, which isn't always convenient to love and serve people in practical ways. But hey, God never gives anyone an easy job, does he? Worship team, will you come? Friends of hope, Jesus is saying to us again, I want you, you to be my witnesses. We don't have to worry about how other people experience our due church. We can cheer them on the best they're doing with whatever they have. We can cheer for them. But how about us here? Let's just worry about us here. Jesus is saying he wants us here 
to be his witnesses. He has, he has a mission for us that will bless our own little individual worlds and the world that we have even here together in the Hope family and the communities around us. But also he's giving us a mission to the big wide world beyond us that we don't have to be salesmen, right? We don't have to put pressure on people. We just get to be a blessing. We get to tell others what we have seen from Jesus and it'll change our world. And I wonder, I can't help wonder, if we as a church, as, as the Hope Covenant family, if, if we just keep loving and serving and helping the world around us, if we just did that, I wonder if people that are skeptical, maybe they're interested in Jesus, but they're skeptical about the church. But what if they looked at even this little church body and got curious when they saw how we loved people and served people and told our stories? I wonder if they'd get curious and go, how do, how do people of such a wide age range get along? That's not supposed to happen in our culture, but we're doing it here. We have an intergenerational church. What if people see that and go, wow, what's going on there? That's got to be something else happening. What if, friends, actually, let's say it this way. Just think what will happen when we, when we all begin to pray. God, I want to be the church. I want to be the church. I want to be on a mission from you, God. So start with me. I'm available, God. Start with me. Use me in this. I think it's going to be pretty amazing. And we're seeing it already in so many ways out of this church family. And as we close this morning, I'm excited about this series we're entering into about blessing the people around us. But I think all of this is set up by the posture of our hearts. Yes, now we get clear on the fact that the church is us gathered together on a mission from God. Now that we have that in front of us, I think I want to return to the posture of our hearts. In order for us to really bless in ways that help people, what is the posture of our hearts? See, Jesus, he longed for the whole world to be invited to follow him and know his love. And then he gave us the responsibility to lay that out for people. And so are we, each one of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, are we willing to allow the love of Jesus to flow through us? Are we willing to love people exactly where they are at right now and not demand that they be somewhere else or change? Can we just love people right where they're at? Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in sharing God's love with other people? And so many of you do this so well already, and you're modeling it to me. You're showing me how it's done, and I'm so grateful for you. And I want to call all of us as the Hope Covenant family, especially as we focus in on this, to make this our prayer. And so um, let the words of this song be a prayer. In fact, as the band begins to play, you can remain seated at least for now. But will you just take this posture? Will you just put your hands in your lap and turn them upwards just open as a way of receiving, just a, a posture of saying, yes, God. Yes, God, I receive your invitation. God, will you fill me with your love and your kindness so that I can share your love and kindness to the people around me. And let this song, let the words of this song now be your prayer as we are in this posture.